Good afternoon. My name is Tina, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, The Road to the 2018 Midterm Elections. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of the Cozen O'Connor. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidential analysis, pardon me, presidential analysis at cozen.com. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and everybody, thanks for joining us today. My name is Blake Rutherford, and we're flipping the script a little bit. We've spent about the last 18 months or so talking about uh, the effect of the 2016 election, uh, the Trump administration, uh, what it means, and, and the potential consequences uh, for both parties. Um, we didn't dwell too much on, on necessarily all of the hot topics uh, in that time, but now it's time to talk about the midterms. Um, we have, we've had a number of, of key primaries, and I'm joined today, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Guys, great to be with you again. Blake, Mark. Uh, it, we're into June. Uh, the sun is shining in, in, in Trumplandia today. Um, and, uh, and hopefully um, a, uh, a warm and, and welcome summer is on the horizon. market has been uh, less than that in, in Philadelphia. We've not had, not had pretty weather, although I took the train today and finally saw some sunshine on the, right. on the day when your Philadelphia Eagles were disinvited to the White House. They're a training camp. They're where they belong. Yeah. I mean, Getting ready to defend. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether to. Score right now is Eagles one, Trump zero. Well, I tweeted. I tweeted last night, Mark, that I thought that that Donald Trump, more than any other one individual, uh, was making Philadelphia America's team. First, he <laughs> he 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 piled up with Bob Kraft and and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. The right. Eagles obviously beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, uh, and then today disinvites the. The Eagles, all five, six of them, if we count Jim Schultz, maybe seven, uh, who were uh, who. Schultz is still going. Who, I think he's still a party of one. Party of one. I hope he's. I hope he's dressing like uh, what's his name on the day of the, the right, parade. Right, right, yeah. with the mummers. Yeah, with the, yeah. the mummers costume. That'd be that'd be great for Cousin O'Connor. Um, but uh, but nevertheless, I think Trump's doing a lot to uh, to uh, to make the Philadelphia Eagles arguably one of the most disliked pro sport. Pro sports franchises. Um, it, Blake, Blake, they already were. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I said arguably just because Mark was here. If Mark was not here, this well, would be a very easy conversation between between a uh, between sort of an, an NFL agnostic and a Giants fan. A Razorback. Yeah, right, right. We, uh, boy, it's it's tough. Although we, we, I will tell you, Mark, I know you're huge. huge. Yeah, how was the spring game? Hey, spring boy, it was it was it, it was kind of about like about like you would expect. It was yeah. it was cold. It was sleeting. There was no offense. I mean, it's kind of like our upcoming season. Right. Um, you know, it's right. it's it's we're we're predicted to go a whopping 0 and 8 in the SEC. Mark, it's going to be a good year for us. Um, but I, I did want to kind of reframe our discussion a little bit um, around the midterms. And the reason that we're making this pivot predominantly is, although California's got some got we've got some big votes happening in California today and a few other states. Um, but New the, Jersey, yeah, New Jersey, Jersey um, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but by and large, the primary season is coming to an end. We'll have a good sense of what the matchups are. Howard, you talked a lot about in the course of our as we've kind of previewed where we're going to take our our discussion over the next the next few months um, to matchups. We're going to have a good sense of what those matchups are being. I want to drill down in California because that's that's a really really unique set of circumstances. Um, but we are the midterms um, are upon us, and, and despite the summer when Mark heads off to to, to Cozen O'Connor's Nantucket office uh, for it, it seems to get longer every year. Howard, I, 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 the plan. I, I'm right. I, I've authorized that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's it's I, it's fully sanctioned. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I just noticed that... You need to do a Beltway briefing from the Nantucket office. I'm, I, I think under, is it the pear tree, apple tree? Apple tree. Apple tree. Apple tree. Right. Apple tree. Yeah. Um, could, could, be, could be a nice setting. Um, but, but nevertheless, it, summer's here. 
the midterms are here, and we've got some really interesting dynamics. I think when we turn the corner uh, on 2018, it really looked like the Democrats were headed for, you know, that what what you know political people call that wave election. Um, not so much today. Um, the best prognosticators out there, I'm not one of them, um, have suggested that control of the House is potentially now 50-50. Um, a lot's going to depend on what happens in California. We'll talk about that. We've had our primaries in Pennsylvania, some good matchups, I think, for the Democrats there. New York has. Those are sort of our big three states. Um, the map's big for the Democrats, but it may not necessarily be deep. So I thought that's kind of mark where we, where we might begin our discussion today. Let's sort of set the stage for everybody, because we'll drill down on these races in the, in the weeks and months ahead. But let's kind of set the stage. How do you see the map? What do you think about the landscape for the Democrats? Well, I think we've got three different November elections. Let's maybe start there. We have gubernatorial elections, which always come in third, so I put them up top today, and then we'll talk I about I think you that. put them up top because the prospects in are Congress are going down, just to be clear. Well, <laughs> we've got the Senate where I, for one, never thought the Democrats were taking control. I was hoping we would only lose a few seats. That may still be what happens. And then there's the House where all of the energy has been. And that is 435, actually, uh, bizarrely, there are more than 435 because there are a couple of special elections held on the same day. People right. will get elected for six weeks and <laughs> then the seat changes. But it's 435 local elections. And yes, uh, not looking like the same generic ballot Right. that we all saw a year ago, six months ago, um, before I turn it over to Howard to deconstruct something I said, uh, I would just point out that on Memorial Day in 2010, the generic ballot in the House was 50-50, and in November, the Republicans took 63 seats. Yeah. Uh, I was about to. So it's early. Yeah, it's, it's early. Howard, I'm going to let you jump in here. I mean, it, it again. We always kind of say it's early. It's early, but but I don't. I, I, but I'm a big believer. It gets less early. Yeah, and 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 we we do we do talk about trends here. So yeah. what's your what's yeah. your perspective from from where you sit? I mean, my my long term view it hasn't changed. I think the D's are are really poised to to do some damage in in the fall, but. Um, I, I think it's uh, it certainly feels different than it did a couple of months ago. Uh, I think it's Trump maybe getting his footing a little bit. It's it's North Korea. It's it's the conversation we talked about on our last call where I think Democrats feel like slightly less motivated than than they did a couple of months ago. There isn't that overwhelming feeling like come all else. People are going to the polls, and I think it's this is largely a, a turnout battle at the end of the day. And my view is that the Trump team is much more sophisticated politically than people give them credit for. For example, in California, and I know we'll get into this, yeah. where the top two candidates in the election go forward irrespective of party. Um, there's a question about the gubernatorial election where there's a chance that a Republican in that case may not make the final ballot. And so Trump has tried to boost one of the Republican candidates because he's concerned if a Republican isn't on the ballot, that's going to dampen voter turnout for the Republicans across the board. It's that kind of thinking that's going on inside 1600 Pennsylvania and at the RNC and it's just much more detailed and much deeper than people give it credit for, give him credit for specifically, which is why I think this is going to be more of a fight down to the wire as opposed to something where we can absolutely see how they get from A to Z today. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the headline on Politico.com right now is Trump abandons loyalty test and midterm right. primary endorsements, <laughs> the lead being the California gubernatorial race. 
we'll come back to that because I do want to kind of break down this top two thing to be a little confusing. I did want to interject with a little with a little bit of an infomercial based on what I understand right now. No one, there are a lot of political podcasts out there. There are a lot of folks talking about Trump. Trump's easy to slam on. Trump's easy to, you know, easy to easy to make fun of. But in terms of, and I say this for our listeners, in terms of people who are are getting into the weeds and the midterms and what it really means, the politics, the policy, Mm -hmm. the impact. I think we're really one of the only games in town. So I would encourage everybody who is interested in, in that kind of, not necessarily granular detail, but focus. Obviously, the president's going to play a role in this, just in the same way Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrats are, are going to play a role and have an impact. But that's not our focus of, of kind of where we are. And I think it's, it's important for, for people to remember that and certainly share that with people because I think what we're doing is unique. And I just wanted to, wanted to highlight that before we got into it. Mark, you mentioned the generic ballot. And, and you know, right now, depending on which poll you look at, uh, Dems probably about plus five is kind of where, where it shakes out. Three, four, five. Three, four, five, somewhere, somewhere in, 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 in that range. That's certainly a decline from, sure. from where we've seen it. What do you attribute? I mean, Howard talked about, you know, he felt like the Democrats had a little less momentum that, and, and obviously this is all going to come down to turnout. He, he's certainly right about that. But what do you, A, do you agree? And, and what, do you, what do you attribute that, that sort of, uh, I don't want to make too much of the declines, it ebbs and flows, just like the president's approval rating. But what do you, what do you kind of make of that? And what do you well, see as a consequence of, of the Democrats' little bit of a slide? Yeah, with, with the preface, that focusing on the generic ballot this far out has almost always proven to be wrong in recent midterms, but but it still is a data point that is worth worth taking a look at. I think it is um, a couple of things. Trump's popularity, his approval rating is up. It was in the high 30s. It's up in the low 40s, maybe it's up on average five points. And that is, I think, as Howard said, North Korea. People are hopeful that something good for the world can happen. The economy. And it's the economy, no question. It is the continued strong performance by the economy. I'm not persuaded it is very much that people are thinking he's found his footing because I don't think he has, but it is up and that's part of what's going on. I think I think another part of what is uh, going on is that it is Republicans coming home to the party when being asked about a generic R or D. Almost, uh, Trump's never irrelevant. Never, ever irrelevant. He is always the elephant. He's not a Republican. He's always the elephant in the room. But I think Republicans are starting to settle down. They are not as riled up in the suburbs as they were before. And I think that generic ballot is tightening because of Republicans coming home. I do think that that... um, does not mean one thing that, that Howard said. I do, I do not think it means that there's any enthusiasm diminution on the Democrat side. The enthusiasm on, the, on our side, people can't wait to get to November and vote. Well, and Howard, I'll let you, I'll let you respond to that, but, but I, I did want to sort of preface this. That's the problem in California to a degree, too many candidates, but I'll correct you. Correct. Oh, I go back to the former Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. Generic ballots, to me, don't mean anything vis-a-vis the House come, come November. It's, um, everything is just hyper-local. Every issue is hyper-local. Trump is hyper-local. There's yeah. a race going on, for example. Well, that's a lesson to Connor Lamb, too, but sorry to mean interrupt. Ab- no, absolutely yeah. it yeah. is. And, and that's that's exactly the point. There's a race going on. There's two races I want to talk about in this context. One is a race going on in suburban Birmingham, Alabama. There's a candidate 
who I know, Martha Roby, who's a strong member of the House, um, fighting for her political life, because guess what? Two years ago, um, she chose not to support Trump after the Access Hollywood situation. So now she's being pounded down there on the basis of not having supported Donald Trump. She spent more than a million dollars trying to hold on to this seat. Exactly. And if anybody, and I don't know if you all read Political Wire, Hagen Goddard's great, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Lead lead story right now on Political Wire is exactly about Martha Roby's race. Yeah. Um, and and what all that means. So I did just want and to interject. No, and it's uh, it is it depends where you are. Right. And it depends. Where, where you, it depends what district you're running in, what it looks like. Obviously, there are places where it's the exact opposite effect. So you just have to look at everything on a hyper-local basis. The other race is um, closer to closer to home in southern New Jersey, on the Jersey Shore, Atlantic County, where there's a Democrat running to take on to to take um, the seat that has been held by Frank Lobiondo, who's retiring. Open seat. Open seat. Right. Who is ardently pro-gun? Right. He is. He has an A rating. Uh, Van Drew has an A rating from the NRA, and a great candidate. He's for Connor the Lamb. He's, he's got. He's Connor get, Lamb. He's got to get through today. He will. And and then in California, you've got this circus going on where the party has no control over their members. And where you're going to end up potentially with two Republicans on the ballot come November, I, maybe. So, well, but but I think. Well, let's. Are we going? Yeah, yeah. To yeah. I mean, let's go ahead and pivot. I mean, I the think. The point is right. every. The point is yeah. all local. It's all local. It's all yeah. local, and even in California, it's local. It's state. Absolutely. And then it is yeah. Mark, by Mark let's just kind of break down for everybody, just because I do think this is strange. So California, yeah. a number of years ago proved once again that the only immutable law of the universe is the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> California decided, hey, we have a great idea. Here's how we're going to push everybody to the middle. Here's how we're going to stop the polarization of party politics. We're going to have open primaries. You show up and you vote for whomever you please on either side of the aisle. And the top two vote-getters in the primary go on to the general. The thinking being, the flawed thinking being, that that would push everything to the middle. It was a great political it's flawed until idea. I mean, it's great until yeah. it's flawed. Wait, Louisiana <laughs> does it, don't they? Is Louisiana a top two state, or did I make that up? No, I think that's right. Yeah, anyway, neither what has there. Happened I'm prone to making things up on these calls, as you all know. Well, it's a call of Trump, <laughs> so... We are I can, pardon, I can pardon myself. All the Heller way. gave me the authority. <laughs> all the way through the looking glass, by the way. <laughs> all but, right, California. But, but what Howard was uh, referring to is how that might play out today. And we can go to a couple of specifics, Howard, but, but if I may just offer two different ways it could play out sure. today. The way in which... I think and hope it will play out today is what Howard said earlier about Trump's involvement at the top of the ticket in the gubernatorial race and the Senate race. It's entirely possible that there will not be a Republican on the ballot in November. That would be a great thing for Democrats. First of all, a Democrat would win either or both seats, but that's going to happen anyway. But also, it the thinking goes, would depress turnout on the Republican side because there would be no marquee matchup at the top. The other way that it will go in one or more districts is that there are so many Democrats who have been unleashed by the resistance to Trump who are flooding the primaries today and who may so balkanize the Democratic vote that you actually end up with two Republicans winning. And that could cost the Democrats a district or two. Yeah, lead headline in the LA Times today, today is make or break for Democrats in California's House races. I mean, it it really is. It it is not, today is not an insignificant political day for people who are like us who are tracking 
right. the midterms and who are paying attention to those local matchups, as Howard talked about, because but, just as probable. But the point, if I sorry, know, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you, I'm but, gonna end my filibuster now. But the point <laughs> is that it is a hugely consequential day, but it can go either way. It's not all. It's not only the Democrats with the downside in the jungle primary in California. Yeah, right. But um, they so do have a lot to lose. Some of the races that's why are they spent fascinating. Democrats the Rohrbacher right. race. Yeah, is I was going to come back to I was going to sort of come back to that race, but just to give people a perspective. In the last week leading up to today, Democrats have spent more than seven million dollars just trying to sort this out. Yep in the hopes of, yep. as the Times story says, averting disaster. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to something we've said, a couple of things we've said all along over the past 18 months. One is candidate quality matters and who the candidates are actually matters. And the other is that the Democrats are searching for themselves, notwithstanding the fact that they have a punching bag in the White House um, they're, they're still searching for themselves. They, they, there's no clear identity. Now, I think um, candidates like Connor Lamb are, although he may be a Republican in Democratic clothing, they nominated the right guy there. They found the right guy, they put him forward, and he won. Yep. It's that, that's the exact opposite of what's happening in California, where it's a total circus, and they don't know whether to be the party of Bernie Sanders or the party of, you know. But, but I will, yes. Yeah. And, and that Inter could, will Hillary Clinton could <laughs> wreak havoc in a district or two or three today. Yeah. But back to a broader theme, all of that is happening because of the energy and yeah. the empowerment and the enthusiasm on the Democratic side. And... It is possible that it wrecks some races. It's yeah. also possible that it breaks okay for the D's and that all of that determination continues. No, and there's a real positive side to it from a civic participation right. perspective. Yeah. That's a yeah. real positive. My point is just, it, on the other hand, there is a guy at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, notwithstanding the fact that people think he sits there and tweets crazy thoughts all day, he acts, there is a method to the madness politically. And when I say that he's found his footing, I think he has found his footing to some degree politically, not necessarily in terms of governing, but politically. And I think it's gonna create some issues. Yeah, I mean, let's talk, let's talk about it, because you, you you previewed it a little bit, Mark. Let's talk about California 48, which is the Dana Rohrbacher seat. And for anyone who has not heard that name, I mean, this is a pretty interesting character in the context of American politics. I mean, if there is any one House member, I mean, we could argue about Devin Nunez, but but if there is any one House member who has who has sort of evoked this notion of Russian influence and connectivity, it's him. Um, clearly very high on the Democrats' target list, a, a vulnerable Republican if there ever was one. As is Nunez, by the way. Yeah, right, as is Nunez. Yeah. But, but, um, but you have eight Democrats yep. running against him. And, um, well, and the two top and then, contenders are just killing each other. Right, and that's exactly right. The, the, top they are, two, the two top contenders in that Democratic primary have accused one another of being the worst thing you can possibly be in a California election, which is they've accused one another of being Donald Trump. Yeah, right. They have each said that the other is Donald Trump. I think to the point where, where, where I don't know if it was the, I forget who it was, it was the chair of the California Democratic Party, or somebody else called them both and said, y'all need to go to a restaurant. It's like that scene in Days of Thunder, if you ever watched Days yeah. of Thunder, where where Fred Thompson, the head of NASCAR in that movie, has to put Tom Cruise and whoever that other guy was in a in a restaurant and said we got to work this yeah. out because yeah. you guys are going to kill each well, other yeah, literally yeah, on this track. The DCCC is back in one, the state parties back <laughs> in the other. It's what Howard's been saying over there. It it is chaos, and in that sense, it is Trumpian. I I guess, but but we'll see what it looks like tomorrow because 
whichever of them comes out of it, assuming one of them does, it's possible some third thing happens, the determination to knock out the incumbent is, I think, going to well, that's going to continue. That is a strain that is very much reflective of the President of the United States that is still running through the electorate. This is not a Donald Trump as Donald Trump point. This is a Donald Trump as outsider point. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are lots of races all over the country at all different levels that are being that continue to be impacted as they were in 2016 by the let's not do business as usual throw the bums out, let's bring in somebody who sees the world differently and who's not tainted by a lifetime in politics. Right. That is very and, much and part of in district the mindset. With Republican incumbents and Democratic outsider challengers, that dynamic cuts in favor of the D. It, it cuts, well, it should, if it should. The, the other thing in California, I just want to say, because this is to Tip O'Neill's point, as Howard quoted, the issues in California are local. In California, the two biggest issues that people are actually talking about are immigration, which is an enormous issue in California and not a pro-Republican <clears throat> issue in, in this election. And taxes, where California, yeah. where the Repu where the according to the Democratic version of the world, <laughs> the Republican Congress and the Republican President raised Californians' taxes. That's of course the state and yeah. local and the rest, and and those are local issues. Those, think, those are not so much Trump's a criminal. We can talk about some other time. But th those are dollar and cents issues with the taxes and gut issues, identity issues with, with the immigration, whereas there are other places that, that different issues are, are the local issues, health care. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I do want to go back. I mean, if you, if you break down the Connor Lamb race, I, I know in Pennsylvania it's, it's meant to – meant to sort of mean perhaps more than, than it actually does because if you listen to him talk about sort of his three-pronged, here's how I won this race, all local issues. I mean, that was very much, right. here is exactly how I mobilize my constituency. And remember, yep. narrow, narrow margin, right? So he figured out how to mobilize his constituency and, and get them to the polls, but he did it by basically saying kind of to hell with all the national issues and let me talk about what's going to matter in this district, and did it very, very well, but one yeah. a narrow margin. Howard, I'll let you jump in. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's fine. I think that um, on immigration and, and trade, again, I keep making the same point, all politics is local. Depends where and, you are. And, but you have, to, you have to go below the headlines, which, as you said, Blake, is the purpose of, of, of this call slash podcast. You know, take immigration, for example. There's a race. In California, the 10th, the incumbent is Jeff Denham, a Republican, running for re-election. He'll be the Republican nominee. He's currently leading an effort among moderate Republicans in the House to pass legislation on uh, DACA. Yeah. And, and um, he and Carlos Corbello, who is a member from Florida, from the 26th district in Miami, um, the two of them in tight races are leading the charge. Uh, there's a lot of pushback from the Republican caucus in the House because they'd be partnering up with Democrats to do this. It's they're trying to they're, the the House leadership, I think, will ultimately squash this. But they are trying in the process to give these people, these guys who are in these close races, enough of um, an, an opportunity to show yeah. that they're doing something without anything bad actually happening because it impacts yeah. them negatively elsewhere. Yep. It's just you have to look. If you, if you read the headline, it's, you know, Republicans may face catastrophe on DACA vote in-house. 
you got to look and think much more deeply than that in order to understand what's happening. And these people that are running the country up there, they get that. They are doing it on a much more sophisticated and targeted I was going to say, there, there is some three-dimensional three chess Absolutely. taking place. But the Republican leadership can't get that DACA vote to the floor. <clears throat> So they may, but I think Howard's point is it doesn't necessarily. That's not really. It doesn't matter. The point is you got to give these guys enough enough rope right. to campaign on it, knowing right. that no, at the end of the day, it, it probably didn't so. go anywhere. Another interesting immigration local phenomenon. Uh, this is again happening in California and elsewhere. I'm going to forget her name. There's an incumbent Republican congresswoman in Irvine, California, Martha. And I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's Arizona. I'm missing her name. But in any event, she's going to win her primary today. She's running as the incumbent. She has, on the Democratic side, a handful of challengers. I think it's another one of these where there's six, seven, eight. But the leading contenders, one of whom will make it onto the ballot because she doesn't have another Republican coming at her. The leading uh, contenders are all immigrants. Mm -hmm. They are Asian American immigrants who came to this country and became citizens and are now running for Congress. And the immigration issue is not only an issue in policy terms, how do we fix DACA, it is a it, it is a characteristic of some of the candidates who are going to be going up against Republicans in November, and that just creates the the same kind of dynamic that we've talked about repeatedly in here with women candidates. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go next, Mark. Was was the I mean we we have talked a lot about I mean there've been a record number of women who have who have run for Congress this year uh, in primaries nominated. and and now who have been nominated. I want to I want to talk about another state which is which is is your home state of Pennsylvania where the congressional delegation had no women right. uh, among its 18 members, and it looks like 17 white men, right? One African American, right? And and no women. Women. Um, women sort of have. I mean, again, take the the national headline playing a huge role right. in the 2018 midterms. But let's narrow our focus a little bit because that's a big map. Let's yep. talk about Pennsylvania and and some of the women we're seeing who who are likely to make their way to Congress. Yeah, in the Philadelphia suburbs, there are three open seats and one vulnerable seat. In the three open seats, the Democrats have nominated a woman, and in each case, an impressive woman, not from the fringe of the party, but a woman with with middle-of-the-road credentials and appeal. Uh, in one of those three, a woman is going to Congress because the Republicans have nominated an Asian-American woman. So there is a lot of optimism in the Philadelphia suburbs that of the three open and one uh, one vulnerable seat, uh, which actually has a white guy Democratic nominee, uh, you'll see pickups towards that 23 that the Democrats need, and and you will see a a diversification of the delegation. And it's an important consideration, I think. Not, I mean, set aside kind of the partisanship for a minute. It's an important consideration because the Philadelphia suburbs played a big role in, especially the female vote, going for Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, and now it, it does seem, at least polling today, I know it's early, things will change, but it does seem like that the Democrats have, have, have closed that gap to, to a certain degree and are, are poised to sort of try and make a, make a stronger play for suburban women outside Philadelphia than Hillary Clinton was ever able to do. Right. And, and I think it goes most importantly to the enthusiasm factor. In 
Look, there are places in Pennsylvania that uh, Trump carried where there is still a great deal of enthusiasm for Donald Trump, no question. But in suburban Philadelphia, the enthusiasm for Trump among some of those Republicans who closed their eyes, held their nose, whatever we want to call it, and voted Republican, meaning for Trump, that enthusiasm has faded, especially among women. And again, my my point that I make over and over, but this I know from, from our backyard, uh, the determination among Democrats and especially women, both Democratic and Republican, to do something, to make a state, to do what they can do in November is very, very strong. The election were held tomorrow, that would matter. We'll see what happens. The yeah, thing we'll is, he's not on the ballot. And it doesn't matter the, if a candidate loses a seat. It doesn't matter if a Republican incumbent in the Philadelphia suburbs loses a seat by one vote or 10,000 votes. It doesn't matter whether the Republicans keep their majority in the House by one seat or 20 seats. It, do, it doesn't matter. All that matters on a race-by-race -race basis is whether they turn people out to vote and the relative numbers, and so... But what I'm saying is something... The, the enthusiasm in Philadelphia may be infectious locally, but it has nothing to do with Pittsburgh. No, totally agree. That what I'm saying is exactly what you're saying. you got to look at every district. In some districts, it's DACA. In some districts, it's state and local taxes. In some districts, it's healthcare, tariffs. Whatever. In some districts, it's health care. I am telling you that in the Philadelphia suburbs, it's Trump. He happens to be the issue in those races. But that doesn't mean beans, as you say, for northeastern PA, for, for Pittsburgh. Different issues, different places. And, and clearly, I mean, all kidding aside, disinviting the Eagles, believe me, they thought about that from a political point of view. It may and help them elsewhere. It ain't going to help in Philadelphia. No, it's not going to help them in Philadelphia. But You know, it's interesting because we talk about, I mean, I do want to point out, we can come back to the Eagles and, and deconstruct that a little bit because I'd be interested to hear what, Howard, your perspective on how it's, I mean, I get the optics of so few people showing up, but canceling is, and especially under false pretenses of saying that, he did it because so many people didn't stand for the national anthem when, in fact, no eagle left. He's changing the narrative. He's good yeah. at that. Yeah, I mean, lying. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, but we'll come. We'll come back to that. I do. You know, I do want to point out. You know, in, from a role of women, we talk about it. We look at it through the lens of Democrats because so many more Democratic women are running. But interestingly enough, Mississippi has never sent uh, a female to Congress, a heavily Republican state. Um, and it, they look poised to do so in the third congressional district there. Half the candidates are women. If you win the primary, of course, you're going to win the general. And it looks the front runner is a woman, a uh, state, state senator. Um, so it looks like Mississippi may send, may send a female to Congress uh, for the first time ever. Um, and Alabama may or may not be poised to send an African-American woman. Uh, to Congress for the first time ever. Um, so again, I mean, an African American woman as a credible, not favored, but credible candidate for governor of Georgia. I was about to say, and and, and certainly, certainly governor of Georgia. She's she that'll be that'll be a difficult race. But again, to point out, the top two in that race, both women in the Democratic right. primary, right. both named Stacey. Um, right, and um, and so again, you you are seeing women break ground across. All, all sort of paradigms. I did want to. I did want to point that out. Um, but I, I want to just, if I may, um, mention one other issue because I still believe that where it is an issue, and I believe it's a lot, a lot of places, it is the issue, and that is healthcare. If you look at what just happened in Virginia, you understand the power of healthcare as an electoral issue where it matters. Virginia, as we all know from last year's election, for the first time ever has a basically 50-50 House of Delegates. 
which meant double-digit seat pickups, I think 20-some seat pickups by Democrats. Each and every one of those Democrats ran on Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Got to Richmond, got enough Republicans to join in, and Virginia now has Medicaid expansion. I think in in districts here, there, and everywhere, health care is the the most fundamental issue unifying Democrats in in the midterms, and it is uh, a mirror image of what happened in 2010. It was health care that cost Obama those 63 seats. I think it's interesting that if it breaks that way, you may see health care giving back a lot of those seats in, in November. Much, much more so than the issue, if you want to call it that, that dominates all media coverage of politics, and that's the Mueller probe. I, I don't know there's a single district in the United States where people are going to go in and, and vote based on their view of Bob Mueller. That gets all the oxygen when issues like health care are the ones that are, that are going to, I think, turn votes. Yeah, and I, I misspoke earlier. Terry Sewell, representative from Alabama's um, 7th District, it's, she's an incumbent, so that's my fault. Um, who's the guy on uh, PTI who does all the all the the fact checking <laughs> we got some new additions to Howard's growing staff here maybe right. maybe we'll add a segment where yeah. we can you can fact check the moderator at the end I like that I end see. of these calls yeah. Lord knows how many how many mistakes I've made well I do want to offer to everybody as well um, as we get into as we get into all these races obviously there are a lot a lot of races uh, we spent considerable time today talking about the house. Uh, with an emphasis on California and Pennsylvania, certainly uh, the road to the majority for Democrats runs right through those states. So that's, I think, an appropriate place to start. But there are some really dynamic races all across all across the country. To, to our listeners, it, if there are races that are of particular interest to you, um, email us. Presidential analysis at cozen.com. We're we're certainly more than happy to do a deep dive on on specific races. If if it matters to you um, and if it's helpful, um, you know, we, we certainly want to offer that up. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our, our time today. I think next week we'll have a chance to talk, to, to talk a little bit more about the Senate than we, than we were able to get to. Today, these calls are going to be a lot, a lot more frequent um, just because of the dynamics. There's just so much to talk about, so much ground to cover. Um, and and I think it it'll it'll be worthwhile. So certainly would encourage everybody listening to to invite your invite your your own contacts, um, your colleagues, etc. Um, to join us. You can of course um, download past episodes and and future um, calls on iTunes. Just just search for Cozen O'Connor, and and you'll find us. Um, I, I do want to end just with a with a bit of a bit of a homer topic, which is this, which is this this uh, revoking of the invitation for the Eagles. Howard says that that the Trump the Trump folks thought this through politically. I'm gonna give him a chance to to flesh that one out. I would I would love to know what what the argument is for 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 ginning up these kinds of headlines. Um, it, but I'm gonna let Howard tell us. Well. I think the uh, if you look back at the polling on the anthem dispute, I'll call it, from last fall, it was, I think, favorable nationally, at least, to, to well, Donald Trump. Donald Trump got the NFL to change their policy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it was more of the same in, in this context and clearly not smart for suburban Philadelphia, but... I think that they um, that they it was an opportunity. It may have been partially a necessity, yeah. But it was an, he turned a necessity into an opportunity, which frankly I think, look, love him or hate him, he's a he's better at reading at, at identifying a strain running through um, society and 
picking up on it and doing something with it than anybody else. There's a reason well, he sent 16 Republican primary candidates packing in 2016. Well, and again, I'll go back to depending on what your own, how you measure the metric, the most popular professional sport in the United States may or may not be the NFL. He got them to move on a big policy pretty much on his own. So I'll agree with that. Except, Mark, there's one, there's one thing that just kind of keeps, keeps nagging at me on this. Trump's rationale was not true. Well, that's what I wanted to say. Let, let's just be factual and acknowledge that what came out probably on balance appeals to his base and is a bit of a political positive. That's Howard's point. Part of my point. Stated in my words. But let's just look at what actually happened before you got to the point where there was a net positive politically. Number one, he canceled because 10 eagles were coming, and he's got a thing about crowd size, we all know, and it was <laughs> size, size in general, matters. And it was narcissism and nothing more or less that caused the cancellation. It had nothing to do with anything else. And they lied about it. Two things. And then he lied can I, about Can I just say... It. And the thing with this guy is, whatever his political antenna, he gets where he's going politically by lying. He was born in the birther lie. It was a lie. Yeah. That's what he was born in. He's lied every day I, since then. He's lied every day of his presidency. And he lied about the Philadelphia I don't like Eagles. It. And that is no better or worse than any of the other lies. But really, look, I, I don't like that. But <laughs> go back and go back and look at... I, like, and, I don't like any of that. <laughs> but go back. Go. They all lie. Not like this. They all lie. They do. Mark, come Tell on. Tell me the lies Barack Obama. Oh, my told. God. Give me. You want some time to think? You know, no, I'll have our intern. I'll have our summer interns fact check Barack yeah. Obama's yeah. presidency yeah. before like, our next call. Yeah. I feel like. Oh, right. I'm sorry. He said yeah. he was born in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> There's one lie. Here. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's, I yeah. gave you guys a head start. Yeah. This is, Go we're find have, another one. Yeah. We're going to have. You can, we're if you have like a, your insurance, you can keep it. Yeah. Those we're going to have a life aquatic with Steve Zissou moment where the interns are going to play an outsized yeah. role, I feel like, going forward. But. Um, be that as it may, I think... Can, can I say... I'm sorry. Sure. I want to say one other yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. First of all, two things, actually. First of all, what's everybody talking about this morning? Today. Everybody's talking about the fact that the Eagles aren't coming to the White House, which is part of his strategy. It's what he's done from day one. We all fall for it. And that's... But you're... That's one thing. The second thing is it is dumb, dumber than dumb, as a tradition that the winner of the Stanley Cup goes to the White House. It's dumb. It's a waste of time. It's stupid. Nobody cares. Well, the only the only people mostly that care, foreign nationals on the winner of the Stanley Cup team anyway. So. Nobody cares. And so to him, it's like bucking a firmly rooted tradition that's dumb in an environment where people just want to see something different. It's a, it, it may be a bit of a subtle point, but I think it's not lost on him that it's just I, it's just dumb. I also tend to think, and, and I'll, I'll say this, it's not going to be very favorable to, to, the, to the sitting president, but this is probably the, the one guy in the last at least three, but maybe four administrations, I mean, even maybe even five, I mean, depending on how you get back, that no one associates with athletics or sports or anything well, like that. And and so I don't think that there's much of much of an appetite because it was like that dumb fitness day that he had. I, I don't think that that anyone is interested in this president participating in sports. So my 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 unofficial focus group is always either my cab driver or my Uber driver. And on my way to the train station this morning, my, we, we were listening to the radio and they were talking about this. Howard, your point, everybody is talking about it. And he said, you know, look, I, you know, I like the NFL. I, I get it. I, I understand the both sides of this thing. 
but the president's playing a too big a role in sports. This is not his this is not his purview. Sports is it is ceremonial. Go to a game, acknowledge a champion if you want to, you know, be a fan, but stay out of the stay out of it because that's not why we celebrate it's like sports. the one thing. Yeah, just leave it alone. Well, but that's just what get I out want to it. say. Apart Pence showing up the at the Colts thing for that. And I'm, by the way, I never wanted the Eagles invited, let alone to have them show up. So it's a great day as far as I'm concerned. And Schultz will give us a report. <laughs> but, but to the point you guys are both making, I think the most pernicious thing about what has happened, I think it is exactly who this guy is that we've put in the White House. He has taken something that did not used to be a divisive political issue, divided Americans between Yankees and and Red Sox fans, but he has now managed to make sports a divisive and conflicted issue in a society that doesn't need any more division and conflict. And that's the theme, as far as I'm concerned, of, of yeah, his presidency. And I think that's just unfortunate. Well, but, the, but Mark, it's where exactly it's where the country is. Yeah, he's, he's going to have a real dilemma if the Caps win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to really be a problem. Well, and, and, and they're up. Yeah, they're up. that's exactly three right. to one. Yeah, Vegas, you know what? Vegas will come. Vegas will come. To, yeah. to your point, this yeah. town is fired up about the Caps. Yeah, I was yeah. say, yeah. In part because it's a break. Yeah, it's a break wait, from wait, everything we're wait, talking that, about. Wait, that is my wait point. Wait till he finds a way to divide Americans over the Washington Capitol. Yeah, I mean that's my point. It's that yeah. the beauty of sports. It's it's you know the enthusiasm. Stay out of it, man. Just if the players use their celebrity in the same way. Kim Kardashian used her celebrity to lobby for prison reform. <laughs> just let them do their thing, but stay. Otherwise, stay out of it. He just sorry. He can't help it. Well, I'm just saying he can't help he, it. He can't help himself if there is a light. He can't not run to the light. I think he's just mad still that he owned a USFL team. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that's, it all, it all comes New Jersey Generals. It's yeah, all about Herschel right. Walker and the New Jersey <laughs> Generals. Yeah. Well, this man's going to resurrect the XFL or whatever yeah. it was. Maybe Trump can Trump and and the Kushners tried to buy a sports franchise. Maybe they can just get in with McMahon and get in on that deal. Well, needless to say, fun fun digression in our call. As as always, gentlemen, it's a great pleasure uh, to be with you, to everybody who has, has been listening. Again, comments, questions, criticisms of the moderator, presidential analysis at Cozen.com. Our next call is on January the 14th. Not January. Um, I mean, June, sorry. Um, is it a, a, June 14th? I think that's what our, our executive producer is telling me. Um, June the 14th, um, and like I said, uh, check out check out our past content uh, on iTunes or copublicstrategies.com. Uh, Mark Howard, thanks, and thanks to everybody for listening. Great. Thanks, Blake. Thank you, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you, and have a good day.